0: Hello Caught Prairie, Caught Prairie friends. It's great to have you here. Whether it's uh, locally in town and you're at home because of the virus, or whether you're around the country or world, we're grateful that you're tuning in because today's an important Sunday. You know, it only happens a couple times a decade that some of these Christian festivals that are that are set on particular days happen to fall on Sundays. Christmas is one of them, right? It's on Sunday every once in a while, but not every every year. Reformation Day. Is sometimes on a Sunday. It wasn't this year, it was on a Saturday, and the day after Reformation Day, All Saints Day. That is happening on a Sunday this year. And for that reason, All Saints Day at Caw Prairie is especially important. And we're calling it today Your Saints Day because we've been asking you the last couple weeks and into the weeks coming to post, to submit a name and a picture and a story of a saint who's been important in your life. And I am so excited that in the prelude, in the postlude, you know, the before the service, the after the service, and online, you'll be able to see random selections of what Co Prairiers have posted as the saints in their life. In the Protestant understanding, it's long been understood that saints are people, regular believers who have gone before us in the faith or who are modeling their faith right now with us and they are the role models who inspire us and teach us and make us become the saints that God wants us to be the word saint or saints singular or plural is mentioned in the new testament i think 67 times and all but one it's in the plural and the one time it's in the singular it means in the plural little you know little story there but in other words saints happen together saints are a plural thing saints are a team And that's what I want to talk to you about, about what it means to have been blessed by a people on a team who have taught you the ropes, showed you how to have the biggest impact, encouraged you when you weren't having impact, or basically encouraged you when you were about to drop out of the team or drop out of life. And how these saints who've gone before us are powerful, especially because they're also personal. So I want to tell you about one of the saints that I... uh, and are grateful for. And this is probably the case with a lot of you. It's, it's the same who's my dad. So Ken McKnight was a hardworking, driven, family-focused, but kind of workaholic man, at least for most of his his life, he he operated at at hyper warp speed. I remember thinking as a teenager, slow the heck down, Dad. I don't want to be as fast as you. Or and thinking he there was something wrong with him that he was so eager and passionate to see the church bloom and thrive. And you know, I look back now and I see he loved Jesus so much, and he loved people so deeply. That he didn't want anybody to go through life missing an opportunity to connect with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I got all sorts of stories about my mom and my dad. Of course, mom you, is still alive and you're watching, hi mom. So I want to tell you some of the things that this saintly father of mine did. Now by saintly, I don't mean he was like, never lost his temper, never you know, had a word when he hit his thumb with a hammer, things like that. But one of the things I learned from him was, was how to have a family. My dad and mom taught me that, that emotions are appropriate, that, that fighting is, is okay. Not, not often, if it's too much, you gotta get some help, but, but I saw my parents fight, but they fought fair. I could tell they loved each other once the adrenaline came down. I remember, I may have told you the story about the flying spaghetti dinner. That was, that was a, a learning, but in all that, I watched this, this man role model for his three sons and his daughter what it meant to be saintly, how he would apologize for whatever triggered the fight, whatever behavior he had in the fight, and then I would see him resolve to change his behavior after the fight. Now, this didn't happen often, but the couple times it did made a lasting impression. And I imagine that for you, there are people like that in your life too. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that I remember about the saints of my childhood was They were many times the saintly people of the church. I remember that one of the things that my father did as a pastor is he led his church in northern rural Illinois, farm town, factory town. I mean, there's a big Chrysler factory, but it was mostly farm. Um, He led them to uh, sort of adopt, to um, welcome and sponsor immigrant families from Laos. And one of these families, the very first one that came to this small town of ours, um, came to our little Lutheran church, the Scandinavian Lutheran church in the country, or not in the country, in, in the town that was in the country. And what happened to the church because of my dad's leadership was amazing. They they took this family in, the the young husband, the young wife, their little children. They they got medical care for them. They role modeled the life of faith, the love of Jesus. They taught them practical things too, like. What's indoor plumbing, (laughs) for instance? They came from a very, very poor background. But they they taught them how to thrive in this country. And in fact, the job that my dad made sure that the the young father got was a a factory job. He worked it. It was a union job. As soon as he could get his pension, he stepped down from that. He, He retired from that. He moved to Minnesota with his family, started bringing other family members from Laos To America and he enrolled in college and then dental school and about 15-20 years ago my mom and dad went to his graduation at dental school and I remember how excited they were how just tear-filled they were about seeing what this young American immigrant had done well he was no longer young he had grandchildren by that time but what he had done with his life how he repaid the grat- how he repaid the debt to this church and to this country by by working hard by not just being successful for himself but by being generous to the community he lived in he he uh, after his dentist practice got started even i think even before that a couple times a week he would stay late into the evening and he would give dental services to the poor the uninsured the underprivileged and he gave back and i remember my mom and dad said that when they got to the graduation ceremony, um, they saw him, his wife, his family, their friends, his professors, and this now middle-aged or older dentist um, saw my father and he bowed and he said to his family and friends, this man is our father. And. You wanna think that that has not made an impression on me, has not helped form me into an understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a saint in the footsteps of Jesus? Of course it has. In fact, it's taught me a lot about what it means to be an American, even. And so I believe that these saints whose stories have seeped into our lives is part of the pay it forwardness of our Christian faith. You know. There's also another saint story that I want to tell you with a video here. So it's the story of Brian Stevenson. He's uh, the founder, he's an attorney, a law professor, who founded the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama. So anyway, he's worked, he's won cases in the Supreme Court, he's done a lot of things that have, particularly with children, making it unconstitutional to sentence children under 18 to death or then even sentence them to unconstitutionally long sentences for crimes committed as children or teenagers. I want you to listen to this snip, snippet right here and, and see if you can't find the saintly trace of a mother when a little boy was going through a hard experience that she was determined not to let to go to waste
1: took this long drive, and we spent the first night at this hotel. When the bus pulled into the hotel, my sister saw the pool and just started screaming. We put our bathing trunks on underneath our clothes so we'd be ready (laughs) We threw off our clothes. And I remember um, holding my sister's hand, saying, I'm gonna count to three and we're gonna jump into this pool. And the white kids in the pool and the parents were kind of looking at us, but I wasn't paying them any attention, we saw a pool. So we jumped high in the air and we landed in the pool, and it was spectacular. And um, it took me a minute before I realized that people were going crazy. They were shouting to their children, get out of the pool, get out of the pool. And there was just one little boy left and this um, man came walking into the pool, big guy. And this little boy was just standing there and the man snatched the boy up by the arm and the little boy started crying. And I was so stunned by it. I turned to the man and I said, what's wrong? And the man looked at me and he said, you're wrong, nigger. And it wasn't the first time somebody had used that word to me, but it was the first time a moment of such complete joy and happiness had been savaged by something so hateful. And I told my mom what had happened. She wasn't paying attention until I told her what the man said. And my mom got angry and she said, are those people still near the pool? I said, I don't think so. She said, you get back in that pool. And it was classic mom. She said, don't you let those people run you from that pool. And I was like, well, we don't really want to get in the pool now, mom. (laughs) The
0: whole pool (laughs) thing's kind of spoiled, mom.
1: Yeah. She said, no, you get back in the pool. And she made us get back in this pool. The thing I remember most about that trip was getting back in the pool and standing in a corner, holding my sister's hand, desperately trying not to cry. That's what I remember doing. It's like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. So
0: clearly, Brian's mother is trying to help him by being a saint. She's being a saint to him, giving him the the discipline of discipleship. She's discipling him to be strong in his faith, to be stronger in his identity, that my identity is not dependent on what bad names people call me, the sneers and the mockery that they give me. My identity is dependent on my, my belonging to Jesus, my identity in Christ, my freedom from my sin in Christ, and my passion and calling to be a masterpiece that serves and gives glory to Christ, this is what I think she was doing. Becoming a saint happens to us, and becoming a saint happens to our children most, when someone disciples them. And she was that discipler, that saint maker, if you will, to Brian, her son. You know, Baptist theologian Ed Stetzer, just a great blogger. I, I, I recommend him to you highly. Um, so Ed has been writing recently about the bad behavior of his fellow Christians, and not just Baptists either, right? I mean, his fellow Christians. In the last several years, he's he's pointing out that we all, we Christians, like to say we've been discipled by the Word of God, but it really seems like we're being discipled more by by cable news. And if we want to change the world with Jesus' love, we have got to choose a master other than, than Rachel Maddow or Fox and Friends. We've got to go back and follow the lifestyle heart and words of Jesus. So in fact, uh, Stetzer says there's three things that are happening now in the life of Christians that need to be discipled out of us. And I've named them this. These are some, some of his words, but, but not all. Th- those are our fear, foment, and falsehood. Fear. Fear is all around us. And, and for some reason, it seems like Christians are especially afraid, right? I hear Christians say all the time, they're coming after us, who's the they? Liberals, the press, the colleges, the media. That's fear. Remember, in the, at Christmas, the angels said to the shepherds, fear not, and they tried to bring them good news, right? Of great joy for all people right? They tried to calm the fear. And then at the at the open grave at the resurrection, the angels said to the women, fear not, right? The messengers of God, these angels are trying to lower the fear so that people can get out of the reptilian brain that reacts and snaps and spits its tongue out and looks for flies and fights things into the prefrontal cortex of our brain, which is the The part that understands Jesus, and then the middle part of the brain that gets all warm and fuzzy because we know Jesus loves us. Taking away fear is one of is one of the Lord's first priorities with us, and yet stoking fear is what cable news is discipling in us. And that's where I would go to foment. Foment is is a kind of a two-dollar word for. Stirring things up, right? Making trouble. Foment controversy is especially the one. That seems to be especially what Facebook is good for. Twitter, you know, and I I sometimes fall into it, and I I do scroll Twitter for some hilarious things. And um, I will admit that uh, I partake in the the fomenting, especially, all right, I love Seth Meyers. I watch his uh, um, A Closer Look, usually when that's on, or or, uh, YouTube versions of it. I, I fall into the trap, too. I know others of you probably do as well. But stirring up controversy by, by being untruthful or by being hyper-obsessed is not the place of a Christian. In fact, I'm thinking, Paul wrote twice that I can think of in 2 Timothy and then in Titus about telling Christians to dial it down, to quit stirring up controversy. The funny thing is, he's not talking to people attacking Christianity from the outside, he's talking to the Christians, like, stop making Jesus look bad, stop throwing each other under the bus, and stop poisoning the well by making people think that our faith is about you yakking and name calling. 2 Timothy 2. Remind everyone about these things. Command them in God's presence to stop fighting. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. I love that verb, ruin. You're not just going to hurt people's feelings or make them roll their eyes. Some people's faith could be ruined because of how you Christians are acting, Paul says. And I'm guessing he would say the same today. And then in Titus. Stay away from mindless, pointless quarreling over fine, the fine points of Scripture. That gets you nowhere. Warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, and then be done with them. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious with God. In other words, those of you who are trying to prove stuff with deep diving into Scripture in order to make your point and cause a controversy and cause a ruckus, you're pushing people away from Christ. Now, I can't just say it's you guys. It's me guys too, right? It's us. This is what we do. If we, we know God's word, sometimes we forget that it was given to us as a gift and not as a sledgehammer. We sometimes forget that this gift, the purpose of it is to lead us to Jesus, not to lead us to uh, our opponent's weak spots. And I'm as guilty as that as, as others sometimes, but I do, hear, I do hear myself convicted there. And one way to, to handle this is admit, okay, we are afraid. And then to trust Jesus. And one way to says is we do want to cause controversy, but the other is to ask Jesus to grow us as a disciple. It's kind of called Prairie's Trust, Grow, Bless. If you can trust Jesus and you grow as a disciple, then you end up blessing others with your lives. If you don't trust and you don't grow up, you don't bless either. And you won't become the kind of saint that the next generation deserves. So those are the, three, oh, those are the first two things, and then falsehood. Seems like people like to say they want truth until the truth is uncomfortable, and then it's just annoying to hear. Right? Prophets are people who speak truth to power. There's a lot of prophecy, prophesying going out on the streets nowadays, and there's sometimes prophesying that the government has to do when they tell us to 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 be responsible and pay our taxes and grow up and and do things like wear a mask. I mean, that's prophesying. That's speaking truth. And we don't always want to hear that truth. You remember Pontius Pilate when he was he was talking with Jesus. Jesus said to him, "I am a witness to the truth." And Pilate, like, what's truth, dude? This this desire from leaders and from all of us not to be made uncomfortable by the truth is p- pretty pervasive. And I think that's why conspiracy theorize, theorizing. Is so prevalent, get this among Christians, even smart Christians. I mean, if you've if you've swallowed the hook, line and sinker of of QAnon, oh for God's sake, spit that back out, right? Pizzagate, Bill Gates, 5G, vaccines, moon landing fakes, 9-11, all that stuff, all those conspiracy ideas are making you foolish to the world, and even worse. Making God, or making Jesus irrelevant to the world that he gave his life to save. So, so, get rid of falsehood. And if you think, Dan doesn't understand me, I know more than he does. Either call me or get some help. Because I know, I know, it's all around some of you. It's sucking you in. We share, we live in a, we live in a, micro, uh, a micro bubble where we hear the same sort of crazy talk and we forget what's really true. Falsehood is one of the ways that cable news, memes, and, I don't know, the AI in the sky is leading us away from a lifestyle of sainthood in Jesus. So the the things that need to be discipled out of us are fear, fomenting controversy, and falsehood and conspiracy. The things that need to be discipled in are much simpler. A lifestyle of Jesus, a peace-filled voice, and a heart that can handle the truth. If we can do those things, friends, we become the kind of saints who are going to change lives with Jesus' love. And it's not just of what we do to our students if we're teachers or our children if we're parents. It's what we do for each other. Saints are friends who, who comfort and guide each other. There's the, there's the beautiful talk that, um, that Paul says in uh, Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. But he showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So now that we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. My question to you today is, do you act like a friend of God? Are you a saint who is a friend to God and who is a saint to your friends? Just quick story here. When when I was a kid growing up in that same town where, where the Laotian family was settled, where our church took the lead in helping them get on their feet and grow into prosperity, I had a friend named Todd. And Todd and I got in a fight. I don't remember what it was about. Nothing of the sort. All I know is I came home. I was mad at him. I didn't want to play anymore. And I sat on our living room couch and I read something. It might have been a might have been a, a Hardy Boys book or a cartoon. It could have been the J.C. Penny wish book, or Sears wish book, whatever you looked at in the old days when you were trying to pick out Christmas presents, right? So I'm looking at something. I'm still seething about what a jerk my friend is. And all of a sudden, the front door rings. Well, the front doorbell, the front doorbell rings. The front door was seldom ever used, right? Family, friends, all of us, we came in and out through the breezeway, right? Between the garage and the kitchen. The only people that came to the front door were guests, like uh, at evening parties or something, or maybe the postman. But anyway, the doorbell rings. My mom says, Dan, would you get it? So I get up, and I, I answer the door. I'm probably in second grade, maybe third grade. And there in front of me, who's never been on the stoop of my front door before, is my friend Todd. And Todd looks at me, and he apologizes. I don't remember what the words were, but I remember thinking, this, this is nice. Huh. I have to, I, I mean, surely I apologize to people before, but there was something about him making this formal, about standing in the very, in this very public place and making a, an official apology that just struck me with the importance of, of how valuable an apology can be when we as saints behave like sinners. And I tell you that day, my friend Todd discipled me as a friend. And my challenge to you is how can you be a friend discipler? How can you grow saints by helping them disciple out what's broken and false and misleading in them and disciple in the, spiritual, the, the, the fruits of the Spirit and the other blessings that God wants us to have? So to close on All Saints Day, I'd like you to look at the, another, another clip from the story of Brian Stevenson. This time it happens um, with him speaking to a man on, on death row. He's, a, he's a, an intern. He's volunteering for a, a, a nonprofit that eventually he, I believe it's the same one, he comes to lead someday. And I want you to hear how the Holy Spirit is working in that room and how the Holy Spirit is creating saints. Take a look. Uh,
1: Which is where Death Row is. Just by yourself. By myself. I was trying to rehearse exactly what I was going to say to this man, and I felt so unqualified and so unprepared. How old was he? He ended up being exactly my age, and they brought this man in, and he had chains everywhere. They asked me whether I wanted him to be unshackled, and I said yes, because it just seemed rude to say no, and they unchained this man. And I got so nervous that... When he walked over to me, I just said, I'm so sorry. I'm just a law student. I don't know anything about the death penalty. I don't know anything about criminal procedure. But they sent me down here to tell you that you're not at risk of execution any time in the next year. And I never will forget that man just slowing me down and saying, wait, 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 say that again. And I said, you're not at risk of execution any time in the next year. And he closed his eyes and he said, wait, wait, say mm-hmm. that again. And I said, you're not at risk of execution any time in the next year. And that's when that man grabbed my hands and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, you're the first person I've met in the two years I've been on death row, who's not a death row prisoner or death row guard. He said, I've been talking to my wife and kids on the phone, but I haven't let them come and visit because I was afraid I'd have an execution date and I didn't want them to have to deal with that. He said, now because of you, I'm going to see my wife, I'm gonna see my kids. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I couldn't believe how even in my ignorance, just being present, just showing up could make a difference in the quality of someone's life. And it taught me something really important about being present, about proximity. And I just fell into conversation with this man, and I just forgot we were on death row. I forgot he was a death row prisoner. I forgot I was a lost. We just started talking. And one hour turned into two hours, two hours turned into three hours. And the guards came bursting into the. Room and they were angry that i'd stayed so long because they'd been waiting outside and they couldn't do anything to me so they took it out on this man and they threw him violently against the wall they pulled his arms back they put the handcuffs on his wrist they wrapped the chain around his waist they put the shackles on his ankles and they were treating him so roughly that i actually found my courage and i said please please stop treating him so roughly he was my friend at this point i said you don't have to do that but they ignored me and i remember when he got near the door they were about to shove him through and he planted his feet And they shoved him, but he didn't move. And he threw his head back. He started to sing. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. And then he said, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Everybody stopped. Everybody stopped. And uh, the guards recovered, and they started shoving him down the hallway. And you could hear the chains clanging, but you could hear this man singing about higher ground. And when I heard that man sing, Everything changed for me. That's when I knew I wanted to help condemned people get to higher ground. And in that instant, my interest in the law was radicalized. It's so clear to me that we are all more than the worst thing we've ever done. I think if someone tells a lie, they're not just a liar. And they should not have to go through life branded only as a liar. I think if someone takes something, they're not just a thief. I think even if you kill someone, you're not just a killer, and we can't do justice until we understand the other things you do.
0: If being a saint means you're humble enough and honest enough to know that you're a sinner, but also know you're wise enough to know that Jesus' sacrifice on that cross wasn't just meant for others, it was meant for you, and you're strong and grateful enough to say thank you with your life, then in that story, yeah! The lawyer was a saint, but so was the inmate. So was the inmate. You see, none of us are on death row, literally, I I pray. And most of you who are watching, there might be an exception or two, I love you guys, are not behind bars. But all of us, all of us can find our lives lived in a solitary confinement of fear, and a foment of controversy and of falsehood. And we can can live the lonely life of an angry, disconnected from God, isolated from from community person. Or we can live in the middle of a community, but it's a false community based on lies. Either the lies about others or the lies about ourselves. Being Being a saint means we trust that who God says we are is real. That God says we're a sinner and we say, yes, we are. And God says he loves us and we say, yes, we do. And God says, I have saved you and we say, yes, you have. My prayer for you on this All Saints Day in this all crazy year 2020 is that you may come to know that Jesus not only is your Lord and Savior, but he is your Saint Maker, that he wants to give you a truth-ready mind, a peaceful voice, and a Jesus-like heart. And I pray that you'll join me in thanking God for the saints who've gone before us, for the saints who've blessed your life, for the saints you're raising in your household and in your classroom and in your workplace, the saints you're nurturing to see the love of God in their life and the power of God to change the world with their lives. And I pray... 20, 30 years from now at a church service maybe just like this, maybe it's all holograms, who knows? But somebody from, your, somebody from your life, your family, your class, your team, your company, your neighborhood, somebody will type your name in, upload your picture, and give thanks to God for you as a saint, a sinner, yeah. But a saint, nonetheless, who went before them and showed them the way of Jesus, how to change their life with Jesus' love. Amen.